Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. It's nice to be back with you again. Taking some time away was helpful for me as I sorted out my relationship with work, and I hope you've been doing well in the interim, too. Happy 2020! Oh my god, it's March! (laughs) In this week's episode, I chatted with some of my very favorite people, the design trio behind Descent into Midnight, Rich Howard, Richard Kreutz-Landry, and Taylor Labresh. Their game defies genre, which is one of the things we talk about, but you might know it as the crying about fish game. It's an aquatic experience about community set deep in a sea of emotion, and that's about as good of a summary as I can manage. Luckily for us, Rich, Richard, and Taylor are here to help. So let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. This week, I, I have a full podcast for you. We are, we are full of people talking about Descent into Midnight. With me, I have Rich Howard, I have Richard Kreutz Landry, and I have Taylor Labresh. Hello. Hi, friends. <laughs> There's so many. Hello. Yeah. This <laughs> um, rules. It's so good. I, you know what? I like having a lot of guests on at once. It's very fun for me to listen to you <laughs> yeah. talk to each other. No pressure. Uh, before we do that, though, before we jump in, would y'all like to take a minute, take turns, and introduce yourselves a little bit for heroes who don't know you? So, any projects you've worked on or places heroes might know you from? Um, I have Richard in my list first, so why don't we start with Richard? Okay. Uh, I am Richard Kreutz-Landry. My pronouns are he, him. And basically the big thing that uh, I currently have out at the moment that y'all can check out is my website. It's origamigaming.com because I'm an origami artist as well as a game designer. Yeah. And you make a lot of the the origami, like you invent the shapes that you make right like it's very cool yeah yeah so mm -hmm. Uh, solid follow on twitter (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's like if if you ever wanted to like see uh like do a tony vornsker from Mm -hmm. uh the star wars campaign podcast in paper you can do that uh you know like you do thank thank you for gifting us with this knowledge (laughs) uh rich i have you next in the list uh, I'm Rich Howard. Uh, in addition to working on this game that we're talking about today, I've also done game design work for for Pathfinder, for Third Edition, uh, for Fifth Edition. Uh, you can find all that work on um, Drive Through RPG under my name. I've also been on a few podcasts or two, uh, running AP podcasts, uh, actual plays for a wide range of games, uh, including uh, Edge of the Empire and uh, D and D Fifth Edition and others. Um, so I've been out and about doing things for a few years now. Um, mm. And now we've gotten uh, all of our nonsense wrapped up in this game, uh, which is going to be, uh, yep. we're leaning hard into that. Uh, so I'm pretty excited <laughs> about that. And you can find links to all the things, uh, links to all the things that I do uh, on my Twitter feed. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little pinned, pinned link up at the top there. You can link over to drive through and some other stuff that I've done as well uh, and writing uh, some columns, et cetera. And awesome. I'm he, him as well. Thank you. Those pinned tweets are very useful. Um, 
And and you have a podcast, Rich, that heroes may know you. From. Oh, <laughs> I forgot all about that. You know. It's only two hundred episodes. I oh, you know, two hundred episodes in a blink and an eye. Uh, I'm also the co-host and co-creator of uh, Whelm, the Young Justice Files podcast. Uh, we're a fan cast about the DC animated series Young Justice, uh, where we uh, talk about uh, not only how much we love the series, but we mm-hmm. break down the episodes, break them down narratively. We talk about uh, how to utilize and learn things from them to use in role-playing games and creative writing, storytelling, movie making. We have a large uh, range of discussion guests on the show, including the uh, the cast and crew, of course, but also a lot of people you may know from my wide range of uh, mm-hmm. podcasts, including James. Mm-hmm. Uh, James mm-hmm. D'Amato's been on the show. Kat, uh, Kat Cool's been on the show. Yeah. Frank's Paul's been on the show. Uh, they've all been on the show to talk about um, some amazing uh, inspirations they have from comics and how to u- utilize them, uh, the inspiration for a lot of other creative endeavors. So come by yeah. and check that out. It's very cool. A lot of a lot of uh, pertinent interests colliding here. So. <laughs> that's my that's my other set of nonsense all <laughs> smashed together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> live live your best life. Uh, and Taylor. Hello, friends. Uh, you may recognize my voice from episode sixty four, Thirteen Demon Princes. I was on the show before. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Leviathan Files. I use he/him pronouns. Um, I am a, a very happy part to be. Goodness, mm-hmm. um, leave all this in. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very happy to be part of Descent to Midnight. I also design games uh, solo at riverhousegames.itch.io. I like to um, just like do a lot of weird stuff. So, mm-hmm. which I think that's very appropriate for my my role here in Descent to Midnight. Um, <laughs> it it allows me to to stretch and be weird and just like write things. It's been supremely fun. I also do podcasting. I am the host for Game Closet. It's an informal chat show with queer and LGBT plus folks in the tabletop role-playing game scene. Mm -hmm. I have some other small shows, including the RSS Defiant, which is a (laughs) ranking podcast for Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, that I make with my my good friends out here in Minnesota, uh, Kyle and Kirsten, and also my partner, Lauren. It's phenomenal. And then if you want to hear something truly buckwild, you can listen to uh, Apple Bottom V, which is a podcast loosely based on the Minnesota Vikings, um, where, uh, where we have three stars, myself, my, my friend Dan, and the element of chaos as we make just like the wildest show that we can about um, each episode of the football show Minnesota Vikings that we watch. Good. Oh, you you crack me up, Taylor. <laughs> I love you I'm, so much. I'm also super <laughs> impressed that we've got three Minnesotas uh this far into the episode. I'm very, very pleased with how often <laughs> that <laughs> has happened. Yep. Uh, good. We we should have we should have made hot dish each yes. individually <laughs> and then chowing down on it as we <laughs> recorded this. Except for the whole you know mouth noises yeah. thing, but mm. we'll, and we'll, hot we'll, take. we'll make a, a new show just for that. What's the what's the <laughs> audio version? It's like on YouTube, it's a mukbang. If you just eat food on YouTube for people, what do you what do you call it? If it's audio, huh. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, we could we could do a hot dish hot take yeah. a new podcast. Yeah, what's about, your hot take? Like, Sorry, we. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My my hot take is that Descended to Midnight is not a great um, backdrop for talking about hot dish because 
I, I love to say that there's no wrong way to make a hot dish, but there is wrong, one wrong way to make a hot dish, and that's to use any okay. amount of seafood in it. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. And it's a smell reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. So what you're saying is that I, I should not come up there and, and experiment with Ludafisk hot dish. <laughs> No one should be experimenting with Ludafisk any, like in any context. But you actually stunned Taylor. He was like, "I can't even." What is that? Um, yeah, I don't think I've even had Ludafisk. Like I've never. It's, li- it's you, a myth. Like, mm, it's something I mean, else. The, I I've had it, and it wasn't as as bad as I thought it was going to be. But that might have had something to do with the quote unquote bacon sauce, uh, mm. which the Swedish man next to us told us to cover it in. Uh, and it turns out that bacon sauce is literally just bacon grease. Whoa. Oh, good. So I mean, it's hard to go wrong, even when the thing that is covered in bacon grease is jellied That's fish protein. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm Minnesotan, but I'm not that Minnesotan. <laughs> you have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> I have to have standards. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So let's let's get into Descent into Midnight is the game that the three of you are are making together. Um how would you describe Descent into Midnight? What is what is the brief summary? Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Descent into Midnight is a powered by the apocalypse role playing game where you play ocean aquatic defenders on a community of a world where humans have never and will never step foot. It is a game that is incredibly weird. It encourages you to be incredibly weird. And it's also a game about community building, friendship, the strength uh, of togetherness. It's a, a an emotional role playing game exploring the depths of the sentient mind. Dope. What Taylor that's, said. Yes. <laughs> um, that's so good. I'm I'm glad you had that to pull right out. Did did you do <laughs> you do the, the Jeff Stormer thing? Do you practice? No, I've just um mm. I've run it so many times that mm. that's just my pitch at a table. It's uh, welcome to mm. ac- insert convention here. <laughs> We're about to play Descent to Midnight. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh so before we get into the 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 depths of this game, uh how did the three of you come together to on this i mean you you have to know the answer to that already because every project ever that mm-hmm. matters started as a joke on twitter uh Yay, good. <laughs> so if i recall it was something about uh, a joke about bro sidon uh a monster hearts uh mermaid playbook or mm-hmm. something it was a creature from the black lagoon skin for uh monster hearts yeah called bro sidon um, and then i got tagged it was you and somebody else talking and then i got tagged in it uh yeah because i think i'd been listening to the swallows of the south uh off-season content or something oh that game's so good and quinn had come up with a character <clears> that was so it was something along those lines, but yeah, we, we got started talking about it and then we got started talking about aquatic things and, uh, like, like a moth to a flame, rich suddenly appeared. <laughs> yeah. That's his jam. <laughs> yeah. So that came up. And then when I realized what they were talking about, I was like, damn you all. Now I have all these playbooks running around in my head for monster hearts, mm-hmm. uh, based on all aquatic myths and creatures. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I don't know what happened next, but within 24 hours, Richard and I had, uh, kind of an idea hammered out and i was like you know who we need on this taylor and uh and <laughs> yeah. then we messaged taylor and said taylor do you want to work on this really in this thing we're doing and and he was like yeah so that's what i that's the way i remember it but i think within like a mm-hmm. week or so we had 
the basic like the basic skeleton of what we use today. It's it's evolved definitely over the last mm-hmm. two years. But does that mm-hmm. sound right, Taylor? Yeah. Uh, so I get into these weird like creative binges where I will sit down and like twenty pages later, um, mm-hmm. just have like something. Uh, and so Richard and Richard were like, Hey, we have this idea. And they sent me over like five pages of an outline. And I was like, <laughs> Holy cow, this rules. Yep. <laughs> First of all, this rules. Second of all, here's 15 pages that I've just written off uh-huh. for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, honestly, the, I would, I would hazard a guess that the final word count, like half of it at least is going to be like straight from the brain of Taylor, <laughs> like unfiltered, yeah. like, like apple cider with all the good bits still in there. <laughs> like it is, it is primo. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. There is a, there is a, there's a unique way that Taylor writes this. But when I, I was, I remember two years ago, I think it was two years ago, I was going to Gen Con and I was reading. Mm-hmm. Taylor was, I don't know. Taylor, you busted out like 40 pages in like a night or something. <laughs> and you were like, yeah. Hey, here's the rule book now. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I should probably look over what is current here on the way to Gen Con. And I read it and I, I think I landed and immediately Twittered you like, I was like, this is freaking poetry. Like this is gorgeous. Yeah. There's a there's a uniqueness to Descent into Midnight in some ways. If you'll pardon me saying, there's this uniqueness to it, this feel we're trying to get across, and some of it's very existential and spiritual as well as coming from an emotional place. Um rule books can be really dry, they can be really straightforward, they can be really bullet point, and Taylor has this beautiful way of taking that type of idea of getting rules across, but giving it this beautiful flow and imagery that we really needed in the rule book. It's, it was amazing. Well, and you know, like getting into the sort of the development of the game, like Rich and I definitely both came from a very traditional D and D D 20 ish, uh, gaming background, I think. Mm -hmm. And like when we were first talking about some of the things, like we, we had this idea of, Oh, you're going to pick a species and yeah, you'll be able to come up with the details and everything. Um, but we should have like, you know, powers or whatever based on what type of fish you are. And so it, it was basically like a weird proto, like, race species class selection feet kind of thing yeah. where it was like oh cetaceans should have echolocation or you know like uh cephalopod should have camouflage or something like this and like there were still like pieces of that sort of mindset of that very like um regimented way mm-hmm. of looking at mm-hmm. things and i think like that taylor coming in and like just blowing that apart with the poetry of his language was like, Oh, yeah. it was like, it allowed us to, to view it in a new way. And to, it, it, it took it from like, you know, Oh, okay. This is a cool game where you can pick some interesting things to something where it was like, Oh, this is what we're going for of allowing mm-hmm. people to use their imaginations and create just whatever speaks to them. Yep. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. Taylor Taylor's knowledge and understanding of things and then also listening to you know some great podcasts like masks related podcasts and other PBTA mm-hmm. related podcasts because we use the PBTA engine um, mm-hmm. really like pushed by Taylor's poetry and, and way of viewing this setting in such a beautiful way like basically gave me permission to let go of a lot of uh, to unlearn <laughs> what I have learned over 40 years and uh, become like really dive into the beauty that is the PBTA style system over the last two years. Like when we first started, 
you know, Taylor was the PBTA guy. I'd played masks a little bit and I kind of, I thought I understood it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then over the last two years, it's just been a whole, you know, learning arc, uh, of freedom and player agency. And Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been an incredible experience, but we, we do, we haven't talked much about like what you do in the game, but as, as Richard nodded to, we have no set species. We have no set metropolis that the players are guarding and we have no set existential corruption that you're fighting against. All of that is developed at the table in basically session zero. And so people are bringing to the table, um, some absolutely mind blowing things, um, including really questioning what is a character. <laughs> we have had, yeah. we have, we have had yeah. things it's like you, yeah. we, I expected, Oh, we're going to have cephalopods and, you know, somebody's going to play a tuna and somebody's going to want to play a mer person or whatever. And then the last game at Gen Con, um, I played in one of my last games had a player who said, I am the psychic repository in which the regrets of people who have found grace and forgiveness in their life go into. Holy shit. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm uh, like, Taylor, okay. I was the- <laughs> what was that? I said, I said, Taylor, did you coach them? No, <laughs> they'd never played before, but they'd That's heard amazing. about it somewhere. And, and I was like, okay, so who's your mom? And they were like, okay. And so now the mom was this exist who was like, Oh my gosh, the, the name was incredible. He came up with these names that were so beautiful. Basically, his mother was the psychic link of the city. Um, that would, uh, the city was always making noise and people were always singing and making, you know, talking and things and these beautiful voices. And she would unify those into the city's own soundtrack. Like she would guide how people were singing and doing things, uh, on a daily basis so that as you approach the city, you would, you would feel what the city was expressing. Um, and at one point, one of the player characters or somebody that they knew died and she shifted, uh, the, the, the beauty of the music of the city into a dirge for that one person, an entire metropolis, like the entire city of Los Angeles singing in unification, this incredibly beautiful dirge for this one person. I just about started crying. It was incredible. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. People don't mess around when they show up at the table. I've been mm-hmm. really impressed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like Descent into Midnight has kind of gotten a reputation around it. Uh, you know, when, <laughs> yeah. when you, when you hear I mean, about it getting run at, at, at different conventions and stuff, what do you guys think of that? And does it affect the way you approach the game at all? <laughs> There's, I, I think Taylor, Taylor I have a lot wanna, to say yeah, about this. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. We all, we all are on the same page. Um, I think about this. Taylor voiced it yeah. beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's for better or and for worse. I think it has a reputation for it. Um, I think like part of me says, you know, I, I love that people are talking about it as just so much like the, it, it really does have this thing of like, Oh, you're playing descended to midnight at this convention. Like, you're going to have a blast and you're going to cry so much and it's going to be so emotional, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that people are like, they have that strong feeling about the game. I, I, I feel like as we go through our, our design cycle and our hype cycle, it keys me into, um, a lot of, it keys me into a lot of things that then turn into iterations on the game more so, mm-hmm. I think, than any like playtest feedback that I've seen. Um, and I, I keep thinking about this and I keep like refining my idea about what this phenomenon and this experience is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I feel slightly uncomfortable that it gets 
the reputation as the game that you're going to cry in. <laughs> I think it's like a cool game, but I think that there's like really wild alien, like ocean cool stuff in there. And it's, I love that it's emotional and I love that it produces strong emotions. But the fact that the strong emotion that people keep talking about all the time is like uh is is crying or like sadness Heart, or like, like heartbreak heartrending heart <laughs> like yeah 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 and and so to me i i go okay cool let's steer towards other emotions let's steer towards mm-hmm. togetherness and bonding let's steer towards yeah. Uh, like how do we produce joy or like how do we create mm-hmm. opportunities for um for any emotion other than heartbreak and i mm-hmm. i think that Obviously, playtest feedback is important for for games that you want to playtest. But for me, the thing that has really dry, driven what changes and 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 revisions that I make to uh, to any of the rules or to the text is really like watching people online and experience experiencing this phenomenon i'm like this is a cool <laughs> game about like fish like you don't have to cry every time <laughs> and, well and and i think like the one of the things that we've been talking about is um like how to how to reinforce that it is a game about like hope and joy and togetherness um Mm. because you know like uh the way that we're doing um the community uh map right so mm. taylor come up, came up with this idea that you have a, a map that you draw out at the table mm. and we have these little tokens where when you fill up your corruption track which is you know like hey things are are getting worse uh or when you fill up your harmony track things are getting better that you earn basically a token that you can place on the map and when you do you explain like how your actions and how your connection to the community is affecting the community at large um and you know we we'd been talking about how do we you know do long-term play and that's one of the pieces of it and the idea that the harmony tokens that go onto the map that strengthen the community that are building up the relationships of everyone in the community and everything those ones don't go away and so Mm -hmm. even as you're pushing you know through the narrative that you've got these corruption moves of you know the corruption is is taking hold and is doing these things overall at the end of the day if you play a long game of this like you get to a point where the community is stronger even if you have to make sacrifices you know and and your characters have to make sacrifices like that that you get to see visually on the map hey this is how the community grew and was built by this group of of characters um to fight this corruption this the idea here is when you earn a corruption token the corruption token uh, the the harmony tokens can cancel corruption tokens that are on the map but Mm. corruption tokens cannot cancel harmony tokens so you can have Mm -hmm. harmony and corruption in the same location and they're kind of battling it out but that harmony that's placed um, hope never fully dies in the game. So when you're playing a really playing a long term kind of campaign over time, it, the game the game really is hope punk. It's what it is. It's mm-hmm. about it's about using using hope and community and um, maybe some personal sacrifice if you need to things like that to move people move the community and and the things around you forward during a time that's very difficult. And as we we're saying, like you're playing these one shots at at a convention, you want to hit those emotional beats hard, right? You want to like mm-hmm, yeah. people are creating this beautiful city that they're co-creating at the table right in front of you. And you have to have an inciting incident. And when you have give people so much player agency to be able to create such a beautiful, beautiful thing that they've, they've created together, 
introducing any inciting incident uh, or uh, introduction of any kind of corruption, whatever that corruption happens to be, is going to get to people. Like we just built this beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and now we're going to see some terrible thing happen. And then we're going to try to, to try to resolve that terrible thing um, while we're here yeah. in this one shot, right? But over time mm-hmm. with the campaign, you're going to get to see this thing that, that Taylor's uh, community mechanic and the place, placement of the Harmony and Corruption tokens really, it, I, I, to me, emphasizes what Taylor is trying to say. Like this thing, yeah. okay, yes, we, we, we like the emotions, but we're really about hope punk. So how do we bring that to the table? And Taylor nailed it with the community playbook and the Harmony and Corruption mm-hmm. tokens and how they interact and move in a long-term game it's absolutely beautiful so rich i love you um i love you i I, i'm not super comfortable with the phrase hope punk uh because Mm -hmm. i think that um i've seen some critiques of it and i i definitely appreciate the intent behind like the idea uh, uh of hope punk but i i feel like my my issue with hope punk is that there isn't a follow-through like there's not a so what like i i want people to feel positive and get those those joyful moments and get the um the like uplifting feeling of empowerment but then i also want to say like okay now do something with that like the world is the world is tough there is corruption like all of these things do exist and i want to i want to spur that energy into then saying like hey stuff is tough but you have the ability to do something about it oh and actually that's what i see hope punk is so it's actually taking that that beautiful positive like that that thing inside of you and knowing yeah. that as long as hope doesn't die you can take those actions to actively participate in your community, which is really what I think that we do. So I, I haven't done any research on specifically what people have done, like on genre definitions of hope punk. It's just the only thing that I can apply to yeah, this. And that's, like that's super to, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also am just like really all about saying like, Hey, descent into midnight might not have a genre. Like it's, it's this thing. Like <laughs> exactly. Descent into exactly. Midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. It, and really it absolutely like people have asked us what genre it is. And I mean, even, even when we listen to other professional podcasters on their podcast, they'll be, they'll mm-hmm. be saying things like, I don't know, it's underwater aquatic fish horror, but in a good way, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, or it, it's really, it is kind of difficult to describe, which is actually, mm-hmm something for me because this is a kind of game that I have always wanted to create and I have tried to create at times over the last 40 years of being a gamer but that where the technology of role-playing games had not existed back that far it was all very um Mm -hmm. you know it was all very uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, simulationist and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and, you know, anytime you wanted to put in mechanics that had to do with your emotional state or anything like that, people are like, don't tell me how to play my character, right? <laughs> that kind of grognard yeah. type yeah. of thing. And, and it wasn't until I started listening to podcasts like modifier and backstory and other things and started being introduced to all these other and meeting people like Taylor, right. And, and seeing these games that were now used, like breaking out of that kind of D and D mold, uh, and, uh, that, that simulationist mold and doing incredible things, you know, with emotions and with power and with guiding players to certain experiences, two player games on party of one podcast, listening to like our radios are dying and all this. I was like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then seeing this yep. and then getting involved in descent to midnight, I had ideas, but as we, we could talk about like Richard nodded to like early ideas felt a little bit more in my head, like character classes instead of playbooks and you know that kind of stuff i wanted to go in that place i just hadn't quite stretched those muscles yet and then what ended up happening was that we got the three of us came together to create this thing and it ended up being i think 
for me and I think for the guys too, it became way beyond anything that the three of us, either one, could have done on our own, period. There's no mm-hmm. way I could have done this without Richard and Taylor. There's no way that that would have happened. And two, yeah. just sitting at the table, seeing everything that I ever wanted and more coming true. We constantly have, you know, having a marine biology degree myself, like, I've created a game in which people who don't know anything about mar- or tell us they don't know anything about marine biology mm-hmm. come and sit at a table and then they call on that one thing they saw on that documentary mm-hmm. that one time when they were six mm-hmm. that that either yeah. horrified them or fascinated them. They bring it to the table, add it to this character, and five other people at the table like, I don't even know what that is. And so now you have somebody who claims that they don't know anything about marine biology is now teaching five other people at the table cool. something that they have never heard of. And I... And I, I, I got to like get up and leave the room because I'm so emotional about the whole situation. <laughs> right. And so it's just having, giving that player agency thing that Taylor really helped us lean into, um, and really just giving that power to the players and helping guide them gently into a di- general direction, uh, has made some stories that I just, you know, both laughter and crying. Amazing. So much. Yeah. So incredible. Awesome. Yeah. I, I played, um, last what gen con 2018 i think yes um, yes oh that was that was, was fun. so fun and i i had heard the you know the everybody talking about it too like oh you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna cry it's gonna be a really heart-wrenching so i was like all right <laughs> going in ready just i got my comfy sweater on just like wreck me let's go and our game was <laughs> the cutest saturday morning cartoon oh, it was so good uh-huh and it was yeah. it was amazing and perfect um yeah and nobody cried and it was and- great like it can handle a wide range of storytelling mm-hmm. ideas. Taylor ran a Saturday morning cartoon style game. That's I'm the game. Yeah, that was, that was the game. Is that the game? Well, that's the same yeah, one. And nice. I remember we we ended up sitting around talking about it after um because this had all happened like over I think the course of a day, mm-hmm. right? Of like that that mm-hmm. very first game where it was like I sat down at a table next to Rich, um, and we were both running and like what like less than an hour in like people are sending you know like, oh yeah mm-hmm. my phone crying. my phone started blowing up because i had to send the midnight twitter feed notifications mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and i was like what is happening and i look at these pictures and there's pictures of people literally taking selfies of themselves with tears pouring down their face mm-hmm. yeah and they are they are posting on the twitter saying i'm playing descent into midnight and we're only in character generation and they're crying and i i and i'm like yeah. what is this and i looked and i'm like it's richard's game that he is literally 5 feet from where i'm sitting and i look at him and i'm like what are you doing to them over there and he's like he's just yeah. shrugging and looking at me like going this is incredible mm-hmm. like yeah well and and the thing that was i think so interesting is like that was that was at gen con which is a lot oh, right God, like yeah. capital letters a lot right mm-hmm. and just being like emotionally kind of wrung out and feeling like, Oh, like, okay, this has been a lot emotionally to deal with this. And then jumping into this game and like the players just brought it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like, okay. And then like being able to go, okay, we're going to play the same game and have it be such a like refreshing experience. Yeah. Really, really cool. I'm looking at playing it with my kids. My, my wife played Richard ran for myself and my wife. That was first time she played uh, (laughs) a weekend or two ago. And she's like, we can play this with the kids and we can absolutely, you can absolutely play this with the kids. You can play this in other settings and genres. We try to keep it kind of open and, and whatever the corruption is can be defined as whatever you want. It could be anything that you want to talk to your kids about, Mm. you know, that might be a challenge they're dealing with at school or something. I mean, didn't you guys have, I I didn't play in this game. I just heard about it afterwards. Mm. Didn't you have like something going on on the playground? 
or something? Uh, that it was it, no, it was it was snails who were riding other snail yes. motorcycles. Right. All of a Saturday um, morning cartoon one. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. corruption yeah. was the content, the concept of bullying. Mm-hmm. There it yes. was. There it is. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect. It was so that's good. perfect. And it can be whatever you want. I mean, you could have the corruption could be anything you want. And by giving the players, you know, allowing them to go as far as they feel comfortable doing and give within safety measures, right? Allows them to go wherever they want to go. Um, we had a Ron Vardian from God's Fall played and he mm-hmm. talked our ear off afterwards and said, um, this game is a la- is allowing people to look at things they don't want to look at, mm-hmm. but because it's a setting that is so alien and in and, and not human, they can look at it in safe ways that they want to look at it. They can choose to look at it in a particular way. They don't have to, but they can take themselves mm-hmm. to where they where they want to go. Yeah. And it could be I've I have spent entire games just laughing the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like I've laughed yeah. at other people's games, right? So yes, it is an emotional. We want it to be an emotional game, but that emotion doesn't always have to be. Uh, a, a wrecker but it can be if you want yeah. to yeah. lean into it mm-hmm. if you want you know yeah that's yep. it's very impressive that it has that range but is still very clearly a focused game so yeah. that's super cool thank you that's part of our goal <laughs> I, I think y'all are doing it um Hell yeah. <laughs> let's dip into some of the mechanics just briefly here We've talked about how you don't have the playbooks that are specific uh, types of creatures or anything anymore. So uh, this is still a Powered by the Apocalypse game. What are the playbooks? Oh, goodness. The playbooks are (laughs) themes or we we lead a little bit on inspiration from masks. So they're kind of what kind of story are you looking to tell, Mm. which allows the playbooks to be open. Um, they do have a little bit of echoes of kind of classes, sort of like in a way, like mm-hmm. our first four playbooks we worked on were um, the Awakened, the Redeemed, the Empath and the Cultivator. So we knew that the, the, the advanced technology on this alien world in this metropolis was going to be based on biotechnology and psionics. So there's not metal submarines and mm. that kind of stuff. It's all bioengineering. So if you're going to do that, you need some kind of engineer character. So we created this cultivator, which is basically a gardener as well as an, a, you know, a, a geneticist and a bioengineer. Uh, it can be defined in different ways. And we kind of jokingly call it the, the Iron Man character mm-hmm. of the setting, mm-hmm. uh, in that you are genetically engineering or creating or growing or whatever. You are herbalist, you know, kind of thing that you're helping to propagate the, the technology, but you're really good at it. There's other people who do it, but the cultivator playbook is someone who's a master of doing that. Mm-hmm. The redeemed playbook is a, is a, a being who is created for conflict in some way. That is trying to find, that is no longer doing that conflict and is trying to figure out mm-hmm. who they are now. So it's kind of the, the Captain America being created for World War II, but waking up in a world and not knowing what they're supposed to do or the Hulk or something like that. It's, it's a, it's a character who's trying to find their place in the world when they were made for something else. Mm-hmm. The Awakened is a playbook that's basically an animal, uh, from the planet that has awoken, awakened in some way for some reason and is now, uh, conscious. So it's a way to kind of play the other in a, in a, in a world or on a planet in which Mm. all the species or whatever you want to make in the first place. Right. (laughs) But they walk that line between the natural world and the civilized world is really, that's Uh what their story is. And then the last of the core four ones that we started with is called the empath. 
And the empath is, uh, is, is something that was really close to my heart to start with. It's someone who is able to not only deal with emotions and support of the other players at the table, but is also able to, uh, take and clear, like absorb the corruption from other players and actually be able to make a choice of using that as a weapon against the corruption. So basically fighting fire with fire, but the empath can, can walk a thin line with the corruption in that if they absorb too much corruption in trying to defend their friends and their community, they can kind of fall down a slippery slope. So mm-hmm. uh, it can be a, it's a balancing act with them. They can absorb more corruption than others, but they kind of want to, but they kind of shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's this, it's this, uh, it's a playbook in which that you have to kind of make some choices about what is power. Like, what are you going to choose to, to give into so that you can do other things? And there's 10 playbooks total, but those are the four kind of core. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they definitely have evolved, right? Like the, the redeemed was originally called the living weapon. And, you know, we, we found that that didn't quite convey what we wanted to, um, as far as like that, this is a, a story, you know, this character's story arc is something along the lines of, can they find redemption? Right. And, and that's why we renamed it what we did. Right. People pick it up and they think like, oh, the redeemed. This is like the, you know, the tank character or the fighter character. And they're like, nope, this Aha, is surprise. really <laughs> emotional. Right. Surprise. Yeah. We've ended around yeah. you. Now you have to deal surprise. with the choice. This is bad. Uh, yeah. You so, want to play the violence character. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and violence is bad. Yeah. That was the other thing yeah. that we've talked about a lot in the game is how to handle violence. And, and all of us are on the same page that violence, it, no matter what happens, if you use the violence move that we do have called unleash, no matter what happens, there's never a perfect result. There are always yeah. consequences to violence that you must deal with Ooh. one way or the other. And, and you know, it's I just, yeah. So, and we all feel the same way about this idea of violence is really never the option. And we don't want that to be your first option, but if you choose mm-hmm. it, then I, we need it to be narratively interesting to make you really think about how you need to change, how you mm-hmm. approach what's happening. Yeah. And I, I think like, that's one of the that's one of the moves that we've talked about the most as a team and and Mm -hmm. like rich mentioned like the game any one of us would have written by itself you know by ourselves would have been different than the three of us working together on it um and like it's it's been really rewarding to like especially when we when we butt heads about things and it's like okay we have this this general idea of what we want but like how do we accomplish that like and and working with each other has been really great because it's it takes a lot of love and trust and um and like you know drive to go okay we're gonna work through the hard things and find something yeah. that we can mm-hmm. go okay this this does what it needs to let's be okay with that you know yeah we have a hun- literally one hundred moves in the game between all the like <laughs> the basics playbooks. and the yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Basic uh-huh. specials, the individual moves for all of the playbooks, the corruption moves for all the playbooks. There's 100 moves. I'd say, no, I, I, no joke, 99%. So 99 of the moves is like Taylor creating something and me going, holy God, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yep. Right. Or Richard, like adding something to something or tweaking <laughs> an idea and me going like, Oh my God, this is blowing my mind. Uh, and then the one thing that ends up coming up in conversation sometimes is our, uh, is our violence, uh, move because, uh, Taylor and I had different views on how to approach that. 
mm-hmm. we came to a compromise and that's what we have in the game and that's cool but it comes up because it's so important to mm-hmm. all of us like how are we going to yeah. represent this we all have the same idea about violence but how do we get this and because it's so passionate for all of us we yeah. want to do it <laughs> in a particular way and this is a this is one I wouldn't even call it a downside because the upside is gigantic, but like we had to, we have to talk through these things. And if you have someone who's a a single designer working on a, on a power by the apocalypse game, like a lot of designers do like, uh, Brandon Leon Gambetta working on Passion de los Passiones. Mm-hmm. This is all his view. So he can do what he wants and come up with really interesting and cool ways to, to, to do things. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't have done this without the other two guys, you know? So even in those moments where we have to like talk, chat it out, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's the best because these two guys are amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to circle back to a, one of the things that we had talked about violence and, uh, as a queer person, I have a, maybe a unique perspective on the role of violence. Um, there's a lot of talk mm-hmm. about what violence is and, and how a, how it should be deployed. If it's ever okay to be deployed, like, like violence is very complicated. And I just want to disclaim what I'm yeah. about to say with the, the fact that like, <laughs> there is a lot of nuance to like the role of mm-hmm. violence with a capital V when, when we talk about something like violence and especially when we talk about stories where violence may be, uh, an element, we have to think about when, when someone approaches that story, if they are from, uh, like, if in their real life they have to deal with these things, we should be a little bit mm-hmm. extra careful. Um, and so, right. like, I, I know that there are queer people who are alive today because they were violent. Like, self-defense yeah. is something that's super important. Like, if you are queer right. and you are living in a, a hostile area, you will at some point in your life be violent towards another person. The, the message that I want to send is that if your life circumstances force you into a position where you have to deploy violence, that is violence being done to you. So like if you are a queer person who has to fight exactly. off a hate crime, that is a violent, that is a violent act. Not that you are, I mean, yes, you are perpetrating violence, but like the, the violence, there is violence against you in the fact yes. that you are doing violence. Yeah. That's, Absolutely. That's yeah. where I want to be with our violence move. Yeah. 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 So again, awesome. A lot of nuance. This yep. is not Taylor saying like, "Hey, violence is cool if you're gay." Like, that's not it. That's not. That's not the take. Well, and I think any of us here is taking that away. But yes, I, we. I agree with you 100. Yeah. <laughs> I just really want to be careful. <laughs> well, and and I think like that really is the beauty of getting a group of people to work together on something, right? And like you know, with the three of us, we, we have very different perspectives about things and we can all bring that to the table. And like, it's very, like, you're never going to be able to Mm. hit every perspective, but Mm. like the more that you can bring that in, um, I think it, it just makes Mm -hmm. the things that you're creating better and better, you know? Well, also to, to put a nod in, like, you know, Richard was talking about how we came from kind of Pathfinder D and D kind of, you know, backgrounds originally, but Richard has put in, I wouldn't even call it a move. He put a mechanic into the game that rocked Taylor and I to our core. Uh, it's the opening and closing mechanic for every game is this guided meditation oh, that Richard drew yeah. from inspiration from going to a taiko drumming class. Yes, a, and- a taiko drumming class because I was like – I. I so I'm quarter Japanese and it's not something that I bring up a lot or talk about because like, I, again, I don't speak the language. It's not something that like is – like something that has been a huge part of my life, but I was like, this Tycho thing sounds really cool and it's great exercise. And it's a way to like 
kind of connect with that a little bit. And at the beginning of this class, like the, uh, the, the guy running it had to sit down in a circle and he says, okay. And I remember distinctly that the thing that we did is it had nothing to do with, with music or drumming or any of that. It was okay. We're going to go around and he sets the scene that there's a cliff by the ocean side and everybody goes around and adds one detail. And by the end of it, we had this amazing like picture in our minds of like a thing that like, you know, there were, there were seabirds. You could hear them. The, the, the trees rustled. You could get the scent of the salt coming up from the spray from the waves at the bottom of the cliff. And it's like, this was a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I still remember that. And that's the thing that I wanted to bring to the game because I realized that if we're writing a game about community and about coming together and about sharing experiences, like, like these characters are psionically linked, right? Like they literally can share their emotions and experiences with each other. What better way to hook into that than to do some small version of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, there, there are so many times when it's like I've I've played one shots of a game and I've gone, that was a ton of fun and you have a cool experience with people, but that character just is gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like it never enters my memory unless somebody can, can you know, like mentions, oh, remember when we did this? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. But there isn't like there, there's nothing that forces me to go, how did this character change or develop or think about the character on a deeper level? <laughs> and And that's what this does, right? Our, we have these general titles, right? Taylor's lead designer, Richard's project lead, and I'm concept lead. And so some of this is really coming from stuff that I've been pondering in my mind for a really, really long time. And one of the things that I really wanted to incorporate in the game was this idea of a sanctuary, which is a this psychic space in which all of the players can converge uh, mentally because they have a unique bond, even if they're not together physically. Mm-hmm. And so I we're really pulling from uh, inspirations from games like... Um, uh, headspace right mark yeah. richardson this idea where uh, the the guardian characters that you're playing can all communicate with each other at all times they can share experiences with each other they're psychically linked in a tighter way than even other inhabitants of the of the community and so i was like yeah i really want to do this thing and then richard walked in and just turned it to 11 <laughs> because it was like oh well now this is a, the sanctuary isn't just this kind of psychic void space like it's now we're describing the physical mm. sanctuary that people hang out in like your home base and also the psychic landscape that's behind that and then at the opening of the game you talk about you add elements like he's saying but at the end of each session, you talk about how those elements have altered. Ooh. And so based on the things that have changed for your character. So if you end the game with conditions like angry and isolated, then the shining, bright, warm light that you, you know, added to the, to the community, you know, when you're talking about the mm-hmm. sanctuary at the beginning of the game may be a little dimmer. And then as you start the next game, you can revisit that description to remind people what emotional space they're in. It is it is incredible. It is an incredible yeah. well, mechanic. And, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about it, like talking about how, you know, sometimes it can be really like, uh, it's kind of, can be kind of a downer because all oh, these things are happening. Those moments that you get, those small moments of like a character who 
their portion of the sanctuary is like these little caves or something or, or those, you know, wh- whatever it is, whatever their detail is, when they come out at the end of the session and they have grown or there's harmony in the community or there's like there's that positivity where they they have mm-hmm. that getting to hear those details of how that is visualized in the sanctuary and the community is super impactful because it's contrasted with all of these other things that are going on in the other characters. And it, it, it's very intimate in a way that a lot of quote unquote traditional games aren't right. Yeah. Um, I have to give another shout out to Taylor because I ran a game. I ran for the first, I think it was the first game I ran for you, Taylor, wasn't it? At Gen Con when you played the littlest minnow. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so Taylor played this touchstone character. The touchstone is the, is that kind of that character that's so full of hope and, and peace that you just feel it when you're standing next to them. Like the most terrible monster will just walk up to the, you know, the, t- the littlest minnow and it's just full of so much love that the, mm-hmm. the terrible monster will just sit down next to it and have a conversation. Right. Um, Taylor playing the littlest minnow and, and so he's another designer and I had other people at the table that had signed up to play the mm-hmm. game. Okay, first of all, Taylor's ending of that game, he sacrificed himself to save everyone, like we were all in tears. Okay, so he can talk about happy joy all he wants, but he absolutely destroyed me. And then as a as a as a guy, podcast.com. Yeah. At uh at uh, as a guide, someone who's running the game, there was a part of me who was like, oh, "Do I give this moment this like amazing narrative moment to another designer that seems a little odd to me but i was like this is going beautifully and everyone seems to be in so i'm gonna let it happen Mm -hmm. but what ended up happening was taylor's character i'll I'll say died although it was more complicated than that um was removed from the story and the sanctuary mechanic allowed us to see what happened with these other like they got the last word he may have had the last Mm -hmm. choice and action for the for the narrative Mm -hmm. but those people the three other players at the table oh made me cry so hard because they were reflecting on what the absence of the littlest minnow meant to them this character they just met like three hours ago right meant to them and the changes that happened to the sanctuary and it was the perfect exclamation point for the game it was amazing Shout out Taylor. That was, that was an incredible game. (laughs) That's so cool. So you, you all run this at conventions a lot, but there are things in the game that uh, are arguably, it sounds like better for being a campaign. Um, How, how long of a game do you think this could be or or have you run? Like how, how long does this go? Is there like a, a kind of good way that this wraps up or is this a game you could just keep playing? I mean, I, I think a lot of that depends on how aggressive you are with, with the moves, right? Like how often you're, mm-hmm. you're rolling the dice because that's what's going to, um, trigger the, uh, the harmony track and the corruption track. And essentially there's the way that we've got it set up right now is that, um, as you fill up your corruption track, once you hit that, you get a, you unlock a corruption move that you can then use later. Once you get that five times, that last mm-hmm. corruption move is basically you get, um, you can, you can use it earlier, but it's, you eventually have to go through all of them. Um, and that last one is basically, I end my story or the story of this character on mm-hmm. my terms, right. Um, of like you, you do something, mm-hmm. but that 
takes the character out of the story. And so how do you give into the corruption? How do you, uh, how yeah. do you acknowledge the corruption? How do you sacrifice yourself against the corruption? Like it's a mm-hmm. way to, it's a way to choose to end your character in a narratively interesting way, but you only have five moves to choose from. So, mm. and you can only take each one. So eventually that's going to get triggered at some point. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say maybe like, five to ten like average length sessions is probably what you'd be looking at for a full campaign um although one of the really interesting things about the setting is that there's so much that happens in you know there there is the physical world and you do a lot of world building around that but there is the concept of the echo which is this you know what is it you like to say rich that it's like if if the physical world is the tip of the iceberg. Then... Yeah. So, uh, so it, if the echo is the spiritual ocean, like a dimension, that's just an ocean, mm-hmm. the physical reality in which you live is like the ice, like the iceberg that's, that's frozen and congealed out of the echo. So it's malleable and can yeah. change. So if you affect the echo, it can affect the physical world and the way that you affect the physical world, either physically and or emotionally or psychically, it will affect the echo. Um, instead of having these alien aquatic creatures, you know, build space travel and faster than light travel and leave their planets and do all that kind of stuff. When we want it to be a highly advanced civilization, instead they're more psychonauts. So there's another playbook called mm-hmm. the seeker which is actually a playbook that explores the echo to go to other realities and other dimensions through the echo uh, and visit other planets and that kind of stuff. Other, other real little literal physical icebergs that have formed themselves out of the ocean of the echo. Um, and so there's a yeah. lot to, a lot of games pull their corruption from the echo. It's come from another dimension, another place. Some, some don't, and they have it be very, very local mm-hmm. and, you know, like bullying, you know, it can be whatever you want. Um, but that that's kind of the idea. The Echo is uh, the spirit world, but it's also the vehicle in which uh, psychic powers actually work. Yeah, and be- because of that, it's it's actually really easy to tie like those you know two to ten session games together because it could all be in the same Echo, and like time is malleable, right? Mm-hmm. And some of these characters that we're getting, um, like I ran a game where one of the characters was the um the membrane the permeable membrane between the physical world and the echo and so you can imagine how a character like that could exist in many forms and you could have you know you could have these ties together if you continued to run with a particular group and you could build things just and keep building and building and building if you wanted to um but but yeah i mean the shelf life of a character is probably between two and ten sessions unless you do something particularly odd right but it doesn't mean that the campaign or the story can't go on, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. We're not trying to tell you what to do with the game. <laughs> nope. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, live your life. So, um, yeah. Cool. We don't make the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do, but they're they're very very <laughs> rule number rule number one is it's your game, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Good. Good rule. Um, so it sounds like throughout the process of making this game, you all have surprised each other a lot with, with kind of the, the, the way you've taken things or written things <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or, uh, what have you. Um, and so I'm curious, one of my favorite things to ask is, uh, in, in your playtesting experiences, have players done anything that have really surprised you? <laughs> Oh, every single, every game, uh, every yeah. single game. 
Yes. We would be here I mean, another hour. Good. Cool. Because honestly, like the, I, I think one of the things that unlocked a lot of that that was really interesting was um, if you look at like the 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 front of the playbook where you're picking out your your gifts right which are your like psionic power or your bioengineered gadget or your whatever however mm-hmm. you want to define it one of the other things that we have on there is attitude which is very straightforward right it's four adjectives that describe what kind of attitude you have um but the home and the uh look were they started out again very uh, literal narrow very narrow and very literal. And then like, I I love to use this as an example of like the, the spirit that Taylor brings to this yes, game. This of, is we went, all okay, Taylor the homeland. <laughs> yeah. The homeland, right? It was originally homeland. And then we decided that having land in an aquatic game was kind of silly. So mm-hmm. we called it home, but it was things like kelp forest or, you know, like abyssal trench or things like that, that were very mm-hmm. literal. And I don't remember exactly how this happened but at one point suddenly on one of the playbooks one of the looks or one of the homes was too many teeth <laughs> so yeah. taylor and, taylor started leaning into the concepts and ideas yeah and, 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 and it, the interpretations people take some of the i mean it can be anything mm-hmm. from like a uh, a cloistered cave you know or whatever it's like mm-hmm. these homelands start become emotional homes yeah, the emotional yeah. drive behind the home instead of the physical location. And I'm like, nailed it. Taylor nailed it, what we're trying to do with this. Exactly. Game. It's more about what is the emotional import than it is. I have had so many people lean into too yeah. many teeth and there's like, there's like it's five, so there's good. four or five unique ones for every playbook. So there's like, he did like at least mm-hmm. 40 of them, but <laughs> too many teeth oh, yeah. is one that people like to lean heavily into, which is really amazing. But um, so, they come up with and, these beautiful ideas. Yeah. Um, I love both of you. I'm going to ruin an illusion for you right now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, Why do you do this? Why do you do this, Taylor? <laughs> um, it's not that I'm, like, taking it from something else, but, like, it's, it, it was something that I came up with, and I'm very proud of, of, all, of all of those, like, homes. But, like, it's something that I'm, I'm trying to lean into more in game writing, which is putting something on the page that I don't know what it means. Like, yes. when I was coming yeah. up with a lot of those homes, I was just, like, I was throwing things at a wall and not looking back mm-hmm. and just saying, you know what, if if it feels good right now, I don't need to know what that means. Like too many teeth. What yeah. does that mm-hmm. mean? And I was like, I looked at yes. that, that one specifically. And I was like, do I leave this in? Do I take it out? Cause it was just a placeholder. I was like, I'm going to get 40 ideas and then we'll comb through whatever is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then but, spoiler but, alert, but I really didn't like, take any it out. might be I, my favorite one, like, dude. whatever. But, but the, but the, the, the idea runs through the whole through line. So I, I think of things from story from a through line perspective. There's a through line we're trying to tell with this game. And one of the things that we lean into that we're inspired by a lot is masks. And masks' mm-hmm. powers are very loosely defined. You just have like heliokinesis. And so if you ask somebody, you know, ask your game master, what's heliokinesis? They're going to ask yeah. you, I don't know. What is heliokinesis? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. our gifts were already leaning into that. So we have like um, reality tunneling. Is one of the oh, is, is one. one of the gifts mm-hmm. that the seeker had, and I people are I have had I have never I've had at least ten different seekers in ten different games, and the ones who have taken reality tunneling, none of them have been anything alike. One of them teleported <laughs> the entire planet was going to die. Their corruption was that their son mm-hmm. was going nova, 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. how are you going to fix that in a one shot, guys? What is this? And so their son was going Nova. And part of what they, they had mind, they had memory, memory transference and mm-hmm. reality tunneling. And they, they, they found the, the, the spirit of the planet in the echo. <laughs> He mind melded with the spirit of the planet and then used reality tunneling to draw it from the physical world into the echo. And they had already established at the very beginning of the game that he was the only member of his species left because the rest of them had all disappeared into the echo over centuries. And when he got into the echo, he could hear the singing calls of his people mm-hmm. who had gone yeah. into the echo because mm-hmm. they had all seen prof- prophetic visions that the world was going to end and they had to find them a new home. And I was like, are yeah. you kidding me right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you That's kidding me so right good. now? Well, and, and this is why it's so hard to describe this game is because you go, well, it's about psychic fish, <laughs> right? But it's really not. But here's, here's the thing. But it is. Here's the thing too, to do that. They had to trigger a corruption move near like they they projected their psychic body out. There will be called the silhouette out of their body, but their physical body was taken over by the corruption and nearly killed his friends to have the power to be able to merge with a planet and teleport it. And so his friends had to calm his body being possessed by this terrible thing. It was this beautiful moment of teamwork on every level. It was, ab- it just, na- and when you get a game like that, particularly in a one shot with people who've never met each other before, mm-hmm. never played a game like this. And when you get to the end, I, I don't know, for those of you who are writers out there, you finish a chapter and you write something and you're like, I nailed it. You like feel that rush of nailing it. And I'm just listening to these people. And it's not me. I'm literally just guiding them around this world they've already created. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely breathtaking, breathtaking stuff. And so Taylor took that, took that idea of this. We don't know what these powers are and, mm-hmm. and took it to the next level, took mm-hmm. it and applied it in other places. Because what we're trying to do yeah. is give people a guide to be able to feel comfortable sitting at the table and taking it where they would like to take it. And Taylor took that and put it through the game, man. And like, and, and sorry, go ahead, Richard. He consistently, he consistently does yes. this is the thing. And he can, he like, can tell tell us whatever he wants, but we're not, yeah. we're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you should do it because this is the, I know. <laughs> the point that I, I want to reach the point that I want to reach here is that this podcast like Meg I love Modifier so much and one of the things that I love about it is that like it shows it opens a lot of doors for people who are designing games and yes. specifically like my experience listening to this podcast is like listening and hearing things and then like 5 months down the road when I'm stuck writing something it will resurface in my brain and I will go, Oh, I could just do that thing. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. the, the point that I want to get across is that like, if you, if you need something, if you need to like write or come up with anything, like it just, sometimes it's okay to just put something on the word that yes. doesn't mean anything. Yes. And like, trust that yeah, your yeah. players will fill in the vacuum with me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is yeah. a, there is a kind of a maxim in writing, uh, <laughs> write, uh, was it, uh, write drunk, edit sober. 
Like it's basically this this basic this basic idea of look, if you're stuck, just get ideas on the page and come back and visit it later and see what happens. Stir it up, right? In Big Hero Six, they're like, you know, look at it from a different point of view, shake up your brain. Like I I absolutely back Taylor in this idea. Just put something down and then get like keep that energy flowing forward. And and but Taylor, you you have mastered that in in a way that's really really helped this game. And I need you to take the compliment. I, I'll take as many compliments as you want to give me. The one thing that I do want to say before we like, before anything else happens is that like sometimes you don't even have to come back to something. You can just put it down on the page. That's true. Go, you know what? I'm, yeah. I'm going to yeah. think about something else for now. I'm never looking back and I have never looked back at the home that is, or any of the games. That is yeah. such a Taylor well, answer. <laughs> I love it. Sometimes you get well, it in and, one. <laughs> right. Exactly. And the thing. The thing about it too is like you, sometimes you, like you said, you just have to trust that the human brain is built, is literally built for, for the neurotypical person to create stories yes. and generate like a, a narrative from very little evidence, right? Yeah. And put something together that makes sense based on a, just a little bit. And so it can be, more effective to just put those pieces in place and let people make of it what they will. Yeah. To, to, to trust your audience and trust your players. There's a reason, whatever reason somebody's being drawn to a table to play a role-playing game of whatever kind. Yeah. Right. Trust Mm -hmm. that there's something in there, this thing. I, and, and new players, wait, we've had so many people who've never played a role playing game before. They came and they played oh, yeah. Descent at Midnight, it's their first role playing game. And I'm like, seriously? This happened at Gen Con. I had a, I had a four, I had a 14 year old kid who'd never played a role playing game before, came and somehow signed up for Descent into Midnight. That kid ruled. Mm-hmm. Like everybody at the table were experienced gamers and we were like, boy, you really figured this game out in about three and a half seconds, didn't you? <laughs> like he just leaned into it and he was like, I love this. This is amazing. Like, I love this feeling mm. that I have. And it made me so, like, proud to yeah. be like, wow, thank you. And honored that we're, I mean, everybody remembers their early yeah. role-playing game. Something about an early mm-hmm. role-playing game experience that they carry with them that made them want to play it again for years and years. Right? Oh. So, love it. Trust them. Trust the players and see what happens. Because, boy, it can get bonkers in this <laughs> game. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like heroes probably still have a thousand questions, and that is totally fine because Descent into Midnight is on Kickstarter right now. Hell yeah! <laughs> Please yeah. ask us questions, ask- give us money, yes. tell all your friends uh, to also ask us questions and possibly give us money. Yeah. Um- <laughs> yeah. And also, you can go to descentintomidnight.com dot com mm-hmm. and check out our playtest packet, and you can go and just check out what we have for the playtest packet right now for yourself. And if you want to hear some of the uh, some of these bonkers stories that have been created, uh, we'll have some links to some of the games that we've played where you can hear us uh, as these worlds are are built in front of your very ears. <laughs> very cool. Uh, cool. We will, we will link as much of that as possible because I feel like we have, we've barely scratched the surface of this game. Um, <laughs> we need yeah. a bomb <laughs> Yep. So, mm, yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, are, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we wrap up? No, I don't I think, think so. I think I'm, yeah, I'm right. just like happy. I'm just very happy to talk yeah. to all of you. Like yeah. uh, genuinely everyone on this call, I am, I consider a close friend and I yeah. right yeah. now in this moment am very grateful that I, I have the opportunity to talk to you all. Mm-hmm. I know I've been chatting him up a lot in this session, but I'm going to, I actually do. I want to give a shout out. If you, if you're enjoying some of the things that we're talking about, this kind of almost existential 
poetic things and these emotional things, um, please go and check out Taylor's games. Yeah. Like they uh, Taylor's are games rad. Are in- incredible. Um, please go and check these games out. He ha- how many games do you have out now, Taylor? Uh, 20- I have 28 have- on my itch.io. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so that was four more than I remember. Uh, <laughs> the man is prolific and his games are beautiful. So please, please go check out his stuff. Oh my goodness. Thank you all. And I'm going to mirror that back and just say like, go follow Rich Howard and go follow <laughs> Richard. Kreisandry. They are both like incredible people who just like bring positivity to my life um and like i i would not be the person that i am without their influence and um i i i do just want to say like thank you to the both of you i know we we say it a lot and we 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 talk a lot about how much we love each other which i think that in itself (laughs) is something that i'm very grateful um but like rich you have you have played such a nurturing and like caring role in my life more like in in a way that is unique like in a way that i find myself and i know that we are good friends and that we are like doing things and like everything all of our life is happening concurrently but you are still someone to this day like since we met like I consistently want to impress you and I consistently want <laughs> to be doing things that Rich Howard would approve of. And I think that says a lot uh, about your character. Um, I, I love you very much. Uh, Richard, um, you, you are a, a warm hug in my life. You remind <laughs> me of the things that I like. And I think that that says a lot about the impact that you have on the people that you are around because you are someone, um, I, I hear a lot that I am a positive person. You are someone who reminds me that I am a positive person. Uh, and you are someone who reminds me of why I am a positive person. I love the both of you. Also, Meg, thank you oh, yeah. so much for facilitating this. You're not free of compliments either. Um, <laughs> um, again, you are someone who I strive to impress. Like You are someone whose opinion I, I value a lot, especially in terms of finding my way as a designer um you are someone whose whose interest is very much in like learning about like the way the games work and the way the games tick in a very fun energetic adorable way (laughs) um and you are i i try to push a lot like Lucian Khan said it on an episode of Game Closet and it's stuck in my head ever since. Like, make room for joy. And you are someone, uh, who I get the feeling makes room for joy in a lot of game spaces. And I know from experience makes room for joy in the games that we've played together. And I want to say thank you for that. Yes. Uh, I would like to add to that, Meg. Oh no. Before you can even (laughs) react. I said it off air. I'm going to say it now from the first episode of Modifier in my head. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Do I, what can I design to get on this podcast? Uh, and this was before Descent to Midnight started. And when we started, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get to be a modifier. I think I, I will say so that. So thank you for all you do. Yeah. Like, uh, I think like Rich, like that first episode was I, an eye opening experience for me. Like I, I started listening to RPG podcasts with the RPG Academy. Um, and started like finding out about all these other cool shows from there. Um, and I was like, Oh, this modifier thing sounds pretty cool. I like games. They're interesting. And like, I, I listened to it and I went, Oh, this is, this is not just 
a show that is about like cool, you know, changing games and doing fun stuff. Like this is important yeah. with a capital I. And I was like, yeah, this is this is like doing good work in the world. And yes, like I. I I listened to several shows at that point, and I think this was the one where I went, I need to listen to this, like, to make myself a better human being if I'm going to be designing games, you know? Yes. So. Oh. Well, how, we love you, Meg. Yeah. Oh, I love you guys, too. How dare all of you? Um, <laughs> no, it's it's – I'm really glad I got to have all three of you on to talk about this game because I know you're all so involved in it. It was important <laughs> to me that everybody got made it. And it's just been a blast getting to know you all online and offline over the last couple of years in, in all of your own ways. I'm mm. okay. You, this is the most wholesome episode of the show we've ever done. Uh, this is some of our, this is basically what our game design uh, yeah. triple sessions uh, sound like. You get well. the three, That's like, honestly, so you get cute. the three of us together and this is, this is just how we are. So I'm super glad that we Aww. got to bring you into the circle and uh, <laughs> share our love with you. Yes. Thanks for, for doing that at me. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know you, you started to, to plug each other, but would you like to let heroes know where they can find you online and your work and, and plug yourselves, give us some websites. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll, I'll take the first watch. Cause, uh, I probably got honestly the least stuff out of the three of us. Um, so I am Richard Kreutzlandry. Uh, my Twitter tag is R Kreutzlandry. Um, hopefully that'll be in the show notes because it's difficult to spell. Um, and my website is origamigaming.com. All right. Uh, and I am Rich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Umbral Walker, U-M-B-R-A-L-W-A-L-K-E-R. Um, I am... Uh, outside of Descent to Midnight and Whelm, the Young Justice Files, I'm best known for designing uh, the Alchemist class for 5th edition, mm-hmm. uh, one of like a million that people have designed. Mine, um, I'm proud and happy to say, is a, now a platinum bestseller on DriveThruRPG. Mm-hmm. So if you do play 5th edition, please pop over there and check that out. Um, it's a piece of work I'm, I'm very proud of. So you can check that out. And um, and then as we mentioned at the, the top of the show, if you pop over to Twitter and see my pinned link at the top, our pinned uh, tweet at the top, you'll see links to all the other stuff I've done, including uh, columns on tribality, uh, including 80 plus articles uh, on uh, taking your games into aquatic settings, no matter what the game system. Awesome. And I am Taylor. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Leviathan Files. You can find the podcasts that I make at uh, on wherever you get your podcasts. They are Game Closeted, an informal chat show with queer and LGBT plus folks in the tabletop game scene. Uh, Apple Bottom V, a podcast loosely based on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the RSS Defiant, which is a rewatch podcast of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And you can find the games that I make at riverhousegames.itch.io. Uh, if you are specifically looking for a game in which I am on my complete and utter bullshit in terms of like, <laughs> hey, none of this actually makes sense, but that's okay because like whatever that's the point of it um you can check out uh the game the treasure at the end of this dungeon is an escape from this dungeon and we will never escape from this dungeon which is a (laughs) kaleidoscopic surrealist dungeon crawl in which there are no rules but at the same time the only thing that we are are rules um (laughs) amazing you can check that out uh 
Yeah. <laughs> also, while you're there, you can check out his one word RPG. Yeah. It goes from one extreme to the other, people. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Well, all right. I have to go look this up now. Um, <laughs> all these links will absolutely be in the show notes on the website. Um, thank you guys so much. I have been looking forward to this since I played the game over a year ago. So I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad we did this. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You for so much Meg. Oh, this was a joy. Mm-hmm. So many thanks. Never enough thanks to Rich, Richard, and Taylor for talking with me about Descent into Midnight. The game has funded, but it is still on Kickstarter for about another 10 days, and you really don't want to miss this one. Please take a look at their other work as well, because it's all just as genuine and touching as Descent. Those links are on the website and our Twitter. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. The most fun way to learn about new games is to listen to them get played. Every week on OneShot, James D'Amato brings you actual play recordings with a talented cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds. Each month features a new group trying a new system, exploring a wide variety of genres. The stories are self-contained, so you can jump in anywhere, and it's a great way to discover new games. Discover the magic of RPGs with OneShot on your favorite podcast app. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.